Engaging Leader Episode 123, How to Rebuild Leadership Credibility, Lessons from the Reforging of a Navy SEAL, featuring Jason Redman. inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. A few years ago, my local gym posted a photo of a handwritten sign that had been posted outside the hospital room of a Navy SEAL who had been severely wounded in battle. The wounds I receive, wrote Lieutenant Jason Redman, I got in a job I love, doing it for people I love, supporting the freedom of a country I deeply love. I was so inspired by Jason's courage, sacrifice, and perseverance that I told many people about the sign and even discussed it in a podcast about it with my oldest son. Earlier this year, a family member of mine saw Jason Redmond speak and was so impressed that she sent me his book. I loved the book and I was so surprised to learn that there's so much more to Jason's story and much that we can learn from him to take our leadership to the next level. Jason's journey includes not only how he served our country and then responded to a terrible injury. His journey includes a climb to the elite Navy SEALs, a humiliating fall from grace due to immature leadership, and an even harder climb to reinvent himself and rebuild his leadership credibility, and eventually go on to a civilian leadership role as founder and CEO of a nonprofit organization called Combat Wounded Coalition. Today, Jason is a popular public speaker and the author of The Trident, The Forging and Reforging of a Navy SEAL Leader. And today we're going to talk about how to learn from his lessons about rebuilding leadership credibility. Jason Redman, welcome to the show. Jesse, thanks for having me on. First of all, Jason, thank you so much for your service and for the sacrifices that you and your wife, Erica, and your family have made to protect our freedom. I, in my honor, it was an amazing career. I got to work with truly some incredible people and do some pretty, pretty amazing things. Jason, many of us have a misconception about Navy SEALs that causes us to miss the fact that success as a SEAL requires great leadership. Could you set us straight on the whole Navy SEAL myth? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely critical. I mean, leadership is such a uh, important thing, I think, in any uh, career. I mean, I definitely see it now that I'm out in the civilian world, and it's uh, it's just a, a critical element, and even more critical in combat units and the military. I mean, there's a strong focus on leadership, and the SEAL teams, virtually every guy in the SEAL teams is a very type A personality, and <laughs> they are a leader, and we encourage leadership from day one. Uh, it is built in the guys when they go through uh, BUDS, Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training, and it continues on throughout their career. I mean, even one of the tenets of the SEAL ethos, one of our creeds is, in the absence of leadership, I will step up and lead. Hmm. And it is something that uh, even in training, we have evolutions where the instructors will purposefully tell the officer in charge and the chief, and those are your senior guys that typically run your platoons and assault troops and things like that, 
uh, that they're not allowed to speak. You know, they'll do an evolution where suddenly they'll say, okay, you guys aren't allowed to give any orders. You're not allowed to speak because they want to see who else is going to step up and lead because it's so absolutely critical uh, in those tough times when things are going sideways uh, you need leadership. I mean, the guys can always lead themselves, but somebody for any organization, whether it's the military or a company, needs to be providing guidance and direction. And that's why it's so critical that we teach everyone that they're a leader from day one. So with that high standard in mind, tell us what you were like as a leader in your first wartime experience in Afghanistan. You know, I was a... Uh, you know, I was smart enough as a young leader, and I and and I think we have to kind of set the uh, we have to set the backdrop. I mean, I was a prior enlisted guy, so I'd been an enlisted member. I was a kind of a mid level, uh, lower level management. I was an E six petty officer, and uh, I was smart enough that I and and good enough that I was excelling, and that enabled me to get a commitment uh, commission. But I also kind of had a chip on my shoulder. I was a little bit arrogant. And when you carry those things up into the higher level, you know, arrogance, chip on your shoulder, uh, thinking you know everything, that really starts to create a wedge with people around you. And obviously, those, that is not something you want as a leader. And those were some of the things that I was carrying with me when I did my first combat deployment as an officer. I had really developed kind of a bad relationship with my chief petty officer. Him and I uh, both were very type A personalities. Um, (laughs) Neither of us liked to listen to the other. Uh, So it created a lot of friction. And I think all of that came together on a mission we were conducting uh, late in my deployment in 2005. And uh, and I made a bad call. You know, I basically took uh, the team that I was leading with a machine gun uh, down into the valley and, and, you know, really the details don't matter for those who may not uh, appreciate or understand. And the bottom line, at the end of the day, it was a bad call. And it potentially put both myself and my team and some other members of our team that were in a firefight in a dangerous situation because of the decision I made. And it wasn't that necessarily that I made a bad decision. I mean, um, people make bad decisions all the time in organizations and even in the military. But it was the fact that because this uh, this chief that I had friction with basically really came after me about it, instead of owning up to it and saying, hey, you're right, I made a bad decision. You know, I really should have thought that through like good leaders should. Instead, I really was kind of in denial about it and really fought tooth and nail against it you know, and tried to validate, you know, that my, my thinking and my logical process for making that decision was right. And that is really what got me in a lot of trouble. What was your lowest moment when it seemed like it would be impossible to succeed as a leader in the SEALs? Well, that decision and my defiance in the face of that decision really kind of led, I put my leadership in a, in a, between a rock and a hard place. I mean, basically, they, they knew that I had made a bad call and I needed to be uh, held accountable for that bad call because if I didn't come to fully appreciate and understand that call, I mean, there could be a chance I'd make more bad decisions like that. And in our line of work in the military, especially during combat operations, a bad call can lead to somebody's death or somebody's injury. And, uh, you know, obviously they couldn't allow that to happen. Now, fortunately, in that situation, that didn't happen. But my leadership recognized, you know, they didn't want that to happen again. So they basically... Uh, they needed to do something to humble me and make me realize it was a bad decision. 
And uh, so they did. They actually, you know, they wrote a letter. And as an officer, if you have something called a punitive letter that goes into your official military record, it is, it's the end of your career. You will not be able to move forward. You won't be able to make the next rank. So my leadership recognized that they felt like I had a lot of potential. They felt like I could be a good leader. I just needed to humble myself and mature. So they wrote this letter and they said, okay, hey, we're not putting this in your record. Basically, we're going to hang on to this letter. And, you know, you are going to go through another platoon as the assistant officer in charge. And uh, if you do anything wrong or anything questionable, then now we're going to put this letter into your record, which would officially end my career. And then they said, on top of that, we're going to send you to U.S. Army Ranger School, which uh, Ranger School is a uh, fun uh, vacation <laughs> program that the U.S. Army has. No, it is a leadership school <laughs> for the U.S. Army. It is considered one of the tougher schools that they have. Basically, it is two months straight. You're going about 24 hours a day, every day. Uh, minimal sleep, you know, lots of physical activity, so a lot of fatigue. And then on top of that, they limit your food intake. So you're, you're not getting hardly any calories. So they try to duplicate like the hardest situations that they can think of in a combat environment. And you also have to step up and lead. You're placed in different leadership positions. And going to that school, I had been in for 13 years in the Navy at that point, And I had done a combat deployment. Now, granted, you know, my combat deployment had ended with uh, a little bit of issues, but, uh, you know, I found myself at ranger school and in ranger school, everybody is brought back down to the most basic level. You don't wear any rank. You're just a name. So going full circle, you know, what was the lowest point? I arrogantly, when we started out on the U.S. Army Ranger School Land Nav course, I had actually taught Land Nav for a couple of years when I was an instructor. And uh, we started early in the morning and I was still very bitter about everything that had happened. And instead of jumping on that course with, uh, you know, a fire behind me to get it knocked out, I vastly underestimated it and overestimated my own uh, skill set and, you know, my own arrogance and kind of kicked around and just was bitter and basically, you know, if anything, pouted a little bit as I, you know, was waiting for the sun to rise. And I figured I'd just wait for the sun to rise because uh, we started that course about 4 a.m. in the morning. And needless to say, <laughs> my waiting to the sun rose caused me to fail the course. Uh, hmm. The distances were longer and uh, I just didn't have the time to complete it. You needed every minute of that timeline that they had set out starting at 4 a.m. And uh, that put me in a really bad situation. And in my mind, I started to convince myself at that moment that there was no way that I could come back uh, and, and earn the trust of the guys back. Between the bad call I had made in Afghanistan, you know, the... Um, uh, you know, having to go before the commanding officer, this potential letter, and then, you know, being sent to ranger school for those bad decisions and now failing this course, I really thought that there was no way I could overcome that. And uh, I really convinced myself that the only way, uh, that there was no way that I should just get out of the military and end my career and start something new. Um, you know, fortunately and fortuitously, the CEO of Ranger School happened to be friends with a very, very highly respected SEAL officer who had been a mentor for me and contacted him. And he talked some sense into me and basically said, what are you doing? 
you know, why are you going to throw your career away? Why are you going to leave, you know, under this cloud of, of shame? He's like, you know, you have the potential to be a great leader. He's like, you know, you're, you're telling me that you don't think the guys will follow you. Well, listen, they'll follow you if you give them something to follow. So he was like, go through that course, crush it, you know, do everything you can to come number one out of that course. And he's like, and then come back and apply those lessons here in the SEAL teams, you know, be humble, set the example. And I took that advice to heart and it really kind of changed everything. Uh, and, and that really was my turnaround is trying to be a better, more effective, humble leader. Hmm. So you had been temporarily kicked out of the the SEALs, the Navy SEALs, by leadership. You'd been ostracized by your former colleagues they, they, who didn't trust you anymore. You kind of get sent back to basics. And to make matters worse, you're the only Navy guy going through the uh, Ranger School with a bunch of Army guys. So they all want you to fail. Yeah, they really loved us. Uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I got a lot of great attention for being <laughs> the only Navy guy. And, uh, and, you know, there were comical moments in there that I think at least they were small victories and for me, but, uh, you know, the, the army has their own gear issue. The Navy has theirs. And, uh, I had a, uh, this kind of Patagonia type green fuzzy fleece that used to, <laughs> it was the equivalent of what the army would call a jacket liner. And because I didn't have a jacket liner, I got permission to have that. But I tell you what, the ranger instructors absolutely hated it. And every time I wore it, I never heard the end about the seal and his Gucci jacket. <laughs> so, funny times. So, you basically went through a, a, a very humbling process and had to do a great amount of self-reflection. And uh, what essentially changed inside of you? You know, I think for the first time in my career, I think I, up to that point, I had thought so highly on myself, I never really bothered to listen to anybody else's advice. You know, I look back on that SEAL chief that I had so much friction with, and for the first time I looked back and I saw that he actually tried to offer me advice, but I just refused to listen. So I think it was the first time in my career I started looking at my own strengths and weaknesses and what were the things that were stopping me from being a good leader. And, uh, you know, those, the 5% moments, as I put it in my book, that detract from our own leadership abilities and credibility. And I look back over my career and I saw quite a few of those 5% moments, which would definitely cause my leadership to say, wow, can we really trust this guy? And, you know, I think at the end of the day, that is the quintessential element of a leader. It is having credibility with the people you lead and having them trust you to make the right decisions looking out for them. And that is, um, you know, that is pretty much what I realized there in Ranger School. And that became my focus. It was, you know, that the guys around me knew that I was there for them. I was there to support them. And that was brought forward as I left Ranger School, um, graduated with very high marks, and went back to the SEAL teams. And I just started taking it on one evolution at a time. I didn't look at, wow, you know, I got two years that, you know, man, if I mess up, I could have this letter that's going to impact the rest of my career. I just thought about, okay, you know, this next block of training is mobility training. So I'm going to focus on being the best I can from mobility training. And I'm going to make sure I'm talking to the guys around me to understand, you know, things that maybe I don't know that they do. I want to, you know, be a sponge and learn. 
you know, I think that sometimes that was a fallacy or a uh, mistake of mine that, you know, I kind of had this idea that leaders should know everything, but mm -hmm. we don't. You know, you mm -hmm. got to rely on the people around you, and it's not weakness to ask people for advice as a leader. Once you've lost credibility, it can be very difficult or even impossible to recover with some people. And when, when you w went to Iraq, you had some situations where fellow SEALs didn't trust you and didn't uh, were questioning some of your decisions or the assignments that you'd been given. How did you respond to people who were slower to trust your decisions and your direction? You know, I mean, I didn't try and uh, beat them over the head with it or anything like that. I just, you know, hey, I recognize the fact that there were some people that you're never going to win over. I mean, you have to accept that. You know, when you make a mistake or somebody decides, you know, they form some opinion about you, uh, the only thing that's going to change their mind is, is sustained performance. So over time, you can win somebody over if over a long period of time they see, wow, this person really has changed. This person really is doing all the right things. I mean, I can't point fingers. And then, you, you know, you're going to have a small demographic who, no matter what you do, you could be perfect for the rest of your life. They're still going to hate you. <laughs> and you have to just dismiss those people because you know it doesn't really matter. So for those, you know, few naysayers around me, you know, at the end, I just accepted, hey, you know, the, those are the, that's the, you know, small minority that are never going to buy on and the rest you win over evolution by evolution. What advice do you have for somebody who has blown it uh, in, in either maybe not quite to the, whether to the extent that you did or to a lesser extent, whether they're in, in the business world or in other arenas of life, um, how can they rebuild their leadership credibility if that's possible? What kind of tips would you provide? You know, you do it, uh, be humble. That's the first thing I would say, you know, accept the fact that you made some mistakes, you know, that you had some failures. And, and you know, a lot of times when we fail, we have a tendency to point fingers at other people. And that was one of my biggest mistakes. Uh, you know, I was definitely not acknowledging the mistakes that I had made. So I would say that's the first thing. So humble yourself. Uh, you know, people are much more prone to follow a humble servant leader. And then beyond that, you know, don't buy into human beings. We are our own worst enemies. Uh, we all listen to that little voice in our head that when the adversity is climbing and the bigger the adversity it gets, the louder that voice in your head is. And it'll tell you, you know, you can't do it. You can't move past this. You're never going to recover. You're never going to win people over. So ignore that voice in your head. You know, forward progress is the greatest thing to success. You know, People who stop will never get there. Uh, I mean, that is a cold, hard fact. Uh, you know, the way to get to, to achieve something, you have to have forward progress. So you start putting one foot in front of the other. And I would say you do it one evolution at a time. You look for what is the next step in my business. If I want, you know, if I failed in this business and I want to create a new business, so what's the first step I need to take? And now that I've achieved this, uh, what's the next step? And recognizing the people around you who are helping you to achieve that and being humble about it, I think, is huge. And, and slowly over time, and it is not a fast process. We live in this world that everybody wants everything to happen immediately. Uh, it, it took me, uh, you know, two years to win back uh, the guys. And obviously, you know, we had moments in combat that helped that, you know, to really kind of solidify that I had, you know, changed. And made the right decisions and it'll be no different in business but the, those things you know they they take time and you know you've got to nurture them 
and uh, and just be humble as you go through that process and keep driving forward. In the years since your injuries, you uh, now primarily spend your focus your time on public speaking and on building the Combat Wounded Coalition. Tell us about that. So yeah, my primary focus now uh, probably is twofold. It is uh, getting out and sharing my message of overcoming because, you know, if anybody was to ask me, you know, if you could describe success in one word, what would it be? It would be overcome. Uh, I think that is the essential element that uh, enables success. I mean, I think you can be a great leader. I think you can be an effective member of a team. I think you'd be incredibly intelligent. But all those things don't equate into when things go horribly wrong, when you encounter tremendous adversity, when you encounter catastrophic events. So that is the core message that I deliver getting out and speaking, and I'm trying to spread that across America. I think uh, some people need a little more grit. Uh, I think you know there are some people that just quit too soon, and it's before they're on the verge of success. And then on the other side, I am trying to uh, encourage our wounded warriors, and I've been doing that. It started with Wounded Wear, where we provided free clothing and clothing modifications for wounded warriors. And as the wars are winding down, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of warriors that have been exposed to combat. And whether they're, you know, we have over 50,000 that were directly injured by the enemy, so they're Purple Heart recipients. You have a significant more that were injured training for war, and then we have hundreds of thousands who are suffering from post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injuries. So we created the Combat Wounded Coalition to help them. And we're doing it through partnerships with other for-profit and non-profit organizations. So if you are a company that's out there, whether you are for-profit or non-profit that's helping wounded warriors, we wanna know about you. We wanna partner with you. And if they go to combatwoundedcoalition.org, they can sign up, they can tell us who they are and what they do. We'll take a look at them. We'll make sure that they, uh, we have a little bit of vetting criteria because we want to make sure every group we work with uh, can accomplish what they say they're going to accomplish. We don't want to refer a warrior if we don't know unequivocally that they're going to receive the services that's advertised by our partners. And then, you know, we establish our memorandum of agreement. And as our warriors come in and identify the needs that uh, they have to be successful in life, then we're connecting them with our partner organizations and helping fund that. So if anybody thinks that their for-profit or non-profit organization might make a good partner for the Combat Wounded Coalition, they can check out the website, they can see some examples of organizations that are already partnering with you, and they can complete that. How about somebody that wants to bring you to their organization to speak to their group? Uh, You're getting rave reviews. The reason I read your book is because a a family member of mine saw you speak and uh, loved you and uh, had to get uh, your book into my hands. So how, where where do people go to find out about that? So I started my own speaking company, softspoken.com, S-O-F-spoken.com. And a little fun play on words, soft stands for special operations forces. And, uh, you know, we try to pride ourselves on a community that, you know, does not brag or boast. Um, so soft spoken seemed like a perfect name for getting out there and speaking on some of these lessons that we had learned along the way and they can go there and, uh, they can contact us and we can talk about, uh, what their event is and pricing and all that. But, uh, I'm getting out and delivering 
My core message is on the five principles of elite organizations or performers, and it's all based off the lessons I learned in soft. And these are not, you know, SEAL specific things. It's not like, wow, I can never do that because I, you know, I'm not a SEAL. You know, they're human elements. Those five principles are leadership, teamwork, a clearly defined task or mission, the overcome mindset, and adapting to the unexpected. And anybody can apply those things in any genre, uh, from professional sports teams I've spoken to, to the Fortune 500 companies. Those principles apply. And uh, it's been incredibly well received. You know, I try and have fun at my presentations. I, you know, get that humor in there and uh, people really like it. Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure, Jason. Jason Redman, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. Jesse, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, Engagers, great lessons from Jason Redman about rebuilding leadership credibility. He says it begins with humility and requires self-reflection, constantly being open to learning, and keeping the focus on servant leadership. I also love his advice on ignoring that doubting voice in your head and keeping the focus on forward progress because success in a word is overcome. I love that. Again, the book is The Trident, The Forging and Reforging of a Navy SEAL Leader. And you can get a copy signed by Jason Redman from the Soft Spoken website. We'll provide a link to that website and to the Combat Wounded Coalition website on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 123 as in episode 123. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, JJ Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.